Henry Belcaster co-founded a company called Clipped.co, and he was one of the first guests on the podcast. He's doing so great that I had to have him back on to update you. He and his business partner Dylan bootstrapped their agency to $1.4 million a year in revenue. And just so you know, this recording was done last month, so some of the numbers mentioned in the recording are much lower than what they are now you're hearing this. Since we last spoke, everything he has been working on has grown massively. His YouTube channel has gone from 500 subscribers to now well over 120,000 through using YouTube Shorts. In this episode, Henry talks about the ups and downs of building his anti-agency Clipped into a multi-million dollar a year business. He also shares his strategy to grow his YouTube channel by 24,000% using YouTube Shorts. He shares how he built and scaled a remote team of over 60 people. And he also explains why he prefers to work asynchronously. That means no meetings, if you are wondering. Last we spoke, or last that we spoke publicly, you were building slash kind of had it built, but you were starting what you're doing now. I don't know if the name is still Smart Nonsense or whether it's something else, but you were building a social media-based agency, but now it's the anti-agency. So what's gone on since, you know, early 2021 to where we are now, which is late 2022? You know what? I think what it is, and I was just telling you this off air a second ago, but we basically dove headfirst into the thing that was Smart Nonsense Media. We started an agency and sold stuff and created products and hired people and managed them. And so like within six months, we got every lesson in business ever. We were an agency and then we blew that open and we became a productized service because we wanted more leverage. And then we blew that open and we became a marketplace, which is like the end all be all. Um, and we came up there and we're like, this sucks. All of it sucks. It's people and matter and mass and things and, and complexity. And so we went from that agency to productized service to marketplace to now where we're like, We've done all these things, but who are we and what do we stand for? We don't, we, the entire time we never had a mission. And so what Dylan and I came up with is basically the idea that our mission, at least in the short run for this thing is, is how much we dislike agencies and the agencies we work with. We're like, what is it you dislike about agencies? Tell me. Yes. Oh God. Um, Everything is a default to get on the phone. It's all sync synchronous work, right? Um, everything is ASAP, ASAP, ASAP. We needed this yesterday. Um, everything is expensive and short-term games. We're like, we want to be a team of async people communicating asynchronously over the internet. Um, we want to be doing this for decades. So we don't even know what ASAP means. We're talking on time horizons of decades. You know, and we want to play long-term games with long-term people. We want clients that are with us for those decades, not for two months. So we basically create everything under the sun. And we realize in all of these moves we took over the year, it was all really just our rebuke of agencies, right? We like, Mm. we didn't want to get on the phone. So we stopped taking calls with clients. 
we didn't, you know, Will Smith came on and their agency was ASAP, ASAP, ASAP. And we're like, we don't like that. So we don't do those projects anymore. And so when we took a step back, we're like, oh, our mission, our mission is the fact that we're the anti-agency. We're the only people that, you know, we think at this moment in time are able to say no to all this BS happening in that world and, you know, reinvent the agency and do it better longer, we think. Um, so that's, that's kind of the move into this new thing, the anti-agency. It's happening this week. Oh, wow. Sorry. Well, by the time this goes out, the anti-agency will be publicly announced. So luckily, it's not a spoiler. But you said about working asynchronously, which is something that I feel like I'm kind of for and against at the same time, like the whole work from home movement or, you know, work from wherever you are type thing. For some people, it works. For me, it doesn't because I worked from home for two years. I liked it. I didn't like it. Then I liked it again. Then I didn't like it. And, you know, now I'm a, I'm a nine to five babes. I'm working in the office. It's not, it's not completely my vibe, but it's definitely better for me because I get human interaction that's not just through a screen. But I wanted to ask you about growing and scaling your team because for those that don't know Henry, he has a very successful business. Go listen to the other episode to hear about him building that business. But here he's going to talk about building, scaling, unscaling, rescaling, all this type of shit on, on here. But yeah, talk me through building the business. Is everybody based in the Philippines? Except for you and Dylan. Yes. Dylan's everywhere. So our entire team, Dylan's everywhere. He's in Chicago now with me. It's Dylan and I. The rest of our team is in the Philippines. A few are in India. Um, so, and, and that's because we got our start during the pandemic. So the paradigm at the time was, well, if you want to edit video or you want to have a creative agency, you need to do that with people on your hours, nine to five for us in the United States. Yeah, This is middle of the pandemic. We're like, well, that's not going to happen. So where can we do it faster and cheaper in async? And that was all over the world, it turns out. So that's how we started down this track of async. And I think the way we think about it now is like, as creatives, ourselves included, we needed big chunks of time to just be creative. Like this morning, the last three hours up until this point, I do no shallow work. There's no email, there's no Slack, there's no texting, none of it. Because as a creative, I just need like four hours to write. Because it takes a while to get into flow, you know? You got to like have your coffee mm -hmm. and have your snacks and your little bubbly water and you get the lo-fi beats in your ears. Um, <laughs> and got so- to. Got to get the lo-fi going. The lo-fi. And so we realized- what these other agencies were doing is, and the, the few we work with either in video or like our accounting firm, for instance, they have these mass interruptions of, of flow and how that happens is everything they need to do defaults to getting on the phone or meeting in person, grabbing a coffee, whatever. I think that's all fine and well. And Dylan and I now call it like semi-sync. We think semi-sync is brilliant. We default to async. So I'm going to be, you know, doing my alone writing for four hours in the morning. But then semi-sync is like, okay, we're at least on at the same time or yeah, you go, you know, have the meeting. Um, but I think it's important to do these things at the right time as a creative. And I think that's what a lot of people get wrong. Um, it's just bouncing around meetings and then it, you know, the, the end of the day comes by and your whole day has been hijacked by anxieties leading up to the meetings, the meetings itself where nothing gets done and then trying to debrief and decompress from the meeting, right? Yeah. 
my, my favorite thing is that whole idea of let's have a meeting about a meeting about a meeting that could have just been an email. That, that was my whole problem with, with corporate life was like, oh, I'm going to send you an email and then we'll book in a meeting together and then we'll meet, but we won't really talk about much, but then we'll talk about a little bit and then we'll meet again. And it's like, it's a complete waste of time. Message me, like talk to me like I'm a robot. Tell me what you want. I'll tell you what I can do. And let's just go from there. Right. I think some of the best work I've had in the last couple of years has literally been those people that they want like one phone call just to check I'm human. And then from there, it's like straight emails, yes. just straight emails or straight messages like text, simple as hell. Totally. And, and the worst is when, so one trick we use is like asking for a preview. If you're going to get on a meeting, like give me the bullet points. What are we going to talk about? Most of the time you can just answer those bullet points and not have the meeting. But the worst is when I'll get on a, a call with somebody and we spend 28 of the 30 minutes just trying to get on the same page. So we have all of the context and then there's two minutes left. We don't do anything. And then it, it becomes something else. And yeah, I think, I don't know. We, we, we don't really know why that's the default, but our default because of this problem is, is async. Um, and we've had wonderful success with that. Yeah. And, and kind of going back into the whole async vibe that you're on, everyone's in the Philippines, you're asynchronous, right? So from there, you kind of got people in the Philippines, people in India, but how do you go from that first person you find that's like amazing or the best that you could find at the time to like two, three, four? And I think at one point you had like, what was it like 50 people? 50, or is, 60. Is that wrong? 60, that's correct. Um, oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah. That was that was where we had this great reckoning where we're like, ah, we're, we're too big. We don't like people. Um, but the way we got there was this idea that comes from Netflix called talent density. And basically what they say is, you know, the difference between one engineer and 10 engineers isn't 10 to one. That one engineer could be 10 million times better than the other 10 engineers. So it's like... These, these things don't scale like you would think. So the density of your team matters. We would rather have one person doing 10,000 things than 10 people doing 1,000 things, you know? Um, it's just less mass. And so very early on, this was mostly Dylan, but he was so, so specific about who we were hiring and what we were looking for. And when, when we... We voted our time to finding A players, like AAA plus players, those rock stars. In turn, what ended up happening is when they started to hire people, they wanted to associate themselves with other A players. They didn't want to bring a, a C player onto the team, right? That would that would be a stain on their reputation. So we hire these A plus players. We keep our team very dense. They hire A players. Those A players hire A players, so on and so forth. And I think from there, you just end up with a really dense team of, of people that want to be around one another. Um, that's, that's how we got there. Uh, there was something else I wanted to say, yeah. though. I, for, I forget. That's cool. I've got, I've got endless questions for you because honestly, you're probably one of the most interesting entrepreneurs that I know right now. So it's like, well, it doesn't matter if you lose a point. I've got a thousand things I want to ask you that we might not be able to like cram into this time. But you said about hiring A players and those A players bring in more A players. And to be honest, you guys are still 
A-list operators and managers or whatever title you want to go for. But you said you don't enjoy managing people. And I'm curious, why is that? Is that just because you feel like you're better off in the creative or you just feel like you actually aren't built to do that? A little bit of both. A little bit of both. Yeah. I think like Dylan and I are both zero to one entrepreneurs. We love the idea phase. We don't love the kind of uh, upkeep of a business, like the one to 10, which is where we're at now, um, which is kind of confusing. But I think what it comes down to is like, our best, best, best never need to be managed. The absolute best turn in work that is so above and beyond anything you could have ever thought of that there's no reason to manage. And then you get in this amazing positive feedback loop where your best that don't need to be managed turned in amazing product that product inspires you to create, you create for them to do amazingness. And it's this thing where if you insert management into that loop, now you're, you have to go in and you have to comment things. Uh, I'm, I'm talking about video. So we go in and we review video and, you know, it's like, oh, from three to eight seconds, that was kind of bland and there's typos here. And then that micromanagement doesn't inspire you to keep creating then you're not inspired to create and then the, the the loop falls apart. And so when we're again really specific about who we hire for, they just don't need to be managed. Um and I think that's the difference is like even if you look at Dylan and I, it's the reason we're entrepreneurs, the reason we're here is because we were terrible employees. We were we were terrible at being managed. But on the flip side, that means we can do a lot of things we say we're going to do on our own um, and really go above and beyond without the management. So we just keep it dense. Yeah. And as so I was going to say the management side of things was actually a waste of time because you were like kind of over here, over there, over here, over there, like dipping into people's work and, and not really kind of doing what you guys do best and letting people do what they do best. And it's like, I guess there's this element of actually trusting the people that you you hire. I don't know what book it's from, but I think it was probably a book about the people that worked at Pixar or Disney or something like that, about just trusting their process and then only coming in at the very, very end, if anything, only coming into the screening and being like, wow, you guys did some amazing work there. But I think if you get too caught up in the day-to-day, -day, that's how you end up actually making things feel a lot more stressful than they are. And I think you're right. I think what is management? It's probably like, B or C players and a lack of trust. You know, you don't need to manage people doing amazingness. We see that all day long. Yeah. Speaking of people doing amazingness, you and Dylan are doing amazingness. I don't know if you want me to disclose the number, but you guys are doing amazing with the business. Considering, you know, I don't want to say this time last year, but definitely last year, you know, Smart Nonsense Media had made a total of zero dollars. Now you guys have made a couple zeros behind the number. If you want to say that number, that's up to you. But Talk I me through that process of, of getting your annual recurring revenue up and then scaling it back and then getting it back up and then changing the business all these amounts of times. What, what, like, what was that process like building it up, bringing it down, changing things, sorting it around? Like you guys have, honestly, in the past eight months, you've, you've had about four different businesses and I've enjoyed watching all of them form <laughs> and then slowly be picked apart. Yeah, so in, in you know the method of full transparency, I think today we're probably doing about 1.35 million. Um, a year in revenue. And that's what we can't figure out is 
it feels like it's been eight years and we're like, oh, we started this thing last year. And I guess, yeah, like I would have thought the last time we talked, it was about clipped. Apparently it was about smart nonsense media making zero dollars. Um, but yeah, we're doing like one point. <laughs> it was it was probably about you starting clipped. It was about Dunbar dying oh, and, and clipped right. slash smart nonsense. Yeah, that's right. Okay. Yeah, so I was, I was going on then. Right. But yeah, you're, you're exactly right in the sense that we spun, spun up Smart Nonsense Media. We're doing these crazy animated clips. Uh, the All In podcast picks them up and they're promoting us. So we're using their audience. You know, we're building our business off the backs of their audience. Um, we become an agency. We start doing these huge product projects for big money. Um, the nail in the coffin, I think, for Smart Nonsense Media was this project we were doing with Will Smith that was um, we were animating quotes from his new book. I think it's called Will. Great book. Um, and it was just a dumpster fire of a project because, you know, there were 10 people from our team involved. We moved everyone off of all client work to satisfy this one thing that was urgent, urgent, urgent based on their definition. They've got 10 people on their agency side. So now we've got agency versus agency. We operate a little bit differently. They clearly operate in a different way. And we're like, we just can't do this. We can't do meetings. We can't do these huge email threads with all these people. Like, how do we, how do we get out of this mess? And so thus began the unbundling of that agency. And we're like, okay, if an agency is one end of the spectrum, what's the complete opposite end of the spectrum? That's just a, a blown open marketplace. So no longer do we have to dictate, we only do this certain thing for these certain clients. We don't do meetings. It costs this much. We said, hey, clients, you can work on whatever you want. We're just going to match you up with one of our teammates and the rest is up to you. That grew very quickly because everyone's got a video project. One person does clips and there's a podcast. Someone's doing like, we were doing work with Holly Abdal, still are. People are doing YouTube videos. We do a little bit of everything. We grew very quickly. I think we got to maybe, um, we almost broke 2 million in annual recurring revenue with that model. And then what happens? Well, it turns out when you give people our team, they don't know how to use them effectively. And when we do all of this different type of video, it turns out we do none of it that well. So now this like fledgling marketplace that you could definitely dig into and make it work. Um, but we're like, we don't want to spend the next 10 years trying to make this thing work. It's mostly like going to be a lot of churn because that's how these things work. And you have to do a lot of customer service to keep people happy. And so now we're at that place where it's like, okay, let's kind of wrap on, on the marketplace. And instead of doing 10 things mediocre, let's get back to doing one thing really, really, really well. And that for us right now is 60 second animated clips. I think I sent you what Dylan's doing on YouTube. That's the first thing we've actually done that has like worked for us personally and gone viral. And so we're like, we need to capitalize on that. We're the only people in the world that can do this at scale. And in turn, if we make this hard change from pretty successful marketplace to smaller niche agency, we'll be better off in the long run. We need to focus on doing one thing 
one thing really well. Yeah. And using these these YouTube shorts, you've grown Dylan's channel, which funny enough, I thought you'd want to use it for your channel, which has grown a lot too. You, you At the time we were like at 500 subscribers and now you're at like 1,100 and something. But Dylan's gone from, I thought he was at 6,000 or 8,000, but I checked today, he's on 10,000. And prior to that, I'm saying probably like three, four months ago, I want to say he was like trying to touch a thousand. So all through the shorts, you've grown all these subscribers and followers. And this is the this is the beauty of power laws. So Dylan and I had a race to 1,000 subscribers. And for me, that was just brute force. I can just outrun Dylan. My my superpower is do, 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 do. And so, yeah, shortly after we talked, you know, I cracked a thousand subscribers, and Dylan was always five, six, seven, eight hundred. And then we started seeing shorts be promoted really heavily on YouTube. And Dylan made a bet, and he was like, you know what? I think today, the way you create a brand, if you want to go viral, if you want to bring eyeballs to your brand, is to do it through short form content TikTok, Instagram Reels, and YouTube Shorts. And he said, Henry, let's spend this month, shut down the vlog. Let's just focus on making shorts. Turns out I tried to brute force shorts. They were terrible. I was making them. And Dylan thought really smartly, smartly, intelligently about his shorts. And so Dylan did way fewer shorts that were of higher quality, better stories. And because of power laws, you know, very quickly, he had a couple shorts not doing 2,000 and 10,000 and 20,000 views, but 500,000 and a million and two and a half million. And so he goes from, you know, 900 subs. I think in the last two weeks, he's gotten six and a half million views and 10,500 subs on his channel. And it's like, whoa, we've That's never seen crazy. anything like that. So now it's, it's, uh, it's not that I'm not doing shorts. It's that I've done them and they're on their way out the door. We're trying to, we think like if we can replicate what Dylan did with me, if we can replicate virality, maybe we actually know what we're talking about. So that remains to be seen. Yeah. Yeah. Is that, is that the kind of thing that you're, so if you're like, right, we can catch virality in a bottle. And then we could sell that to other people. Is that kind of the thing you're trying to do? It's like, here's the proof of concept. I've done it. He's done it as well. We can do this for you. And we know how. Let us do our thing. And you sit over there and, and you know, watch those numbers go up type thing. That's exactly right. And let me give you the, the backstory on that. It's not that we want to sell virality. We think that's a, a dumb game to play. Like, If you are making content to go viral, you're not going to last that long because it's too, the, the reward is too extrinsic. These things need to be intrinsic. But if you're making content you love and we can give it that extra juice to go viral and virality is a byproduct, well, who's going to complain? That's, that's why we're all playing this game. And what this comes from is we sat down with David Sachs, who's been like a mentor to us, has been fantastic. And he's like, do you he's guys been know- great that- for you. You was at his birthday party. That's right. That's right. And we can talk about that in a minute. Um, he, he's like, do you guys know the difference between SurveyMonkey and Qualtrics? And we're like- Qualtrics, what the hell are you talking about? He's like, SurveyMonkey is a tool. So they created a platform where you can put in your multiple choice questions and you can send it out to an email group and you can get responses back. But that doesn't mean you know how to ask the right group of people the right questions. 
So he's like, now let's look at Qualtrics. Qualtrics is way more valuable a company. And what do they do? They sell an outcome. They go to the Tim Cooks of the world, the head of, uh, of Apple, and say, Tim Cook, you don't want to spend time asking this email group these questions that you don't know how to ask. We're going to sit down with those people and build that survey for you. And so they're selling the outcome, which is just answers to questions that Apple didn't even know they had. And, and David Sachs said, we need to do the same thing. The, the, the problem with our marketplace is we are just giving people a tool. We're just giving them the editors. That doesn't mean they know what to do with them. So exactly what you're talking about now, if we can replicate Dylan's virality with me, that means we can sell an outcome. We can say, hey, if you come work with us, we're pretty certain we can make you viral. And that's all people want at the end of the day. They don't want an editor. They don't want clips. They don't want their podcast edited. They want views. That is the outcome we need to sell. So Fingers crossed, um, you know, in the next few weeks after this podcast, I go viral as well. And, and then we can replicate that outcome. I think there's, there's something you skipped over there or not really skipped over, but something that's implied that obviously for me, someone who's an avid follower of all your content as well, as well, kind of a similar person to you, you kind of touched on what Alex Hormozzi talks about, which is about selling, the, not even selling the solution, but like selling people properly, which is the idea of, you know, they have a problem you know you can solve that problem but then they get caught up on this or the price or that it's like if you're like to them look this costs ten thousand dollars but we promise you this costs ten thousand dollars a month but we promise you that your views will go through the roof because your content's going to be that much better or we know what we're, what we're talking about you know it's that whole idea of what's, what's the idea uh offer so good they can't say no is what homozy talks about actually sorry I, I think you've well, that book. And he's you? also, yeah, uh, the book, A $100 Million Offer or something. He's also got that wonderful yeah, equation, yeah. which is four inputs he looks at. And basically how to make that equation a giant number so that you just offer the most value. And in the numerator of his equation is the dream outcome. You're selling the dream outcome. And then he looks at things yeah. like, uh, you know, what is the likelihood of success of that outcome? So- you know, if you're selling the dream outcome, which is six pack abs, you want that person to have an 80% likelihood of success. And then in the denominator is like uh, the time it takes them to get that, right? They want their six pack abs in the least amount of time. And they want to, the other, the, the other variable is um, the amount of sacrifice or effort. They want to do it with the least amount of effort. You know, that's why people think they can get six pack abs 80% of the time with in two weeks with a pill, you know, like that's why that, that product works. Um, yeah, it's brilliance. If, if I were to paint a picture for us, it's like, what's the dream outcome? It's, well, I have a million subscribers and my brand is well known. Um, what it, you know, you want the likelihood of that success to be good. We want to make sure we give it to people within a month. So we say, Hey, can we get them a million views in one month? That would be in a shorter amount of time. And then how much effort do they have to go through? Well, Ideally, it's completely hands-off and we do it all for them. Then you have like that just beautiful Alex Hormozzi equation. You could charge whatever you want for it. Because people will be willing to pay for that. I guess the thing I want to ask you is because you kind of went from daily vlogging where you were tracking your life to now what's called Vlog 2.0. I'm pretty sure that hasn't even launched properly yet. It's kind of bubbling and it's just started. But is that also part of your plan for virality or just better long form content because that's what it feels like like that mexico vlog with your family that was that was like 
level two, if not above Casey Neistat's because I liked the storytelling there. And it was really, really oh, like, wow. I felt like I was on holiday with you guys, like genuinely. Well, thank you. That was, that was the goal to kind of paint a soundscape of the trip. I think that's why I love video so much more than photo is just, it's not just, you can see a moment of time, but you can, you can be in it and feel it and hear it. And so that's what I wanted to do with my family. Um, but yeah, man, the, the days of, of Casey Neistat YouTube, as sad as it is, they're, they're dead and gone, you know? And we talked to Mr. Beast YouTube consultant, Patty Galloway, and he painted this crystal clear for us. It's like Casey Neistat's vlog for all intents and purposes was this kind of sloppy thing, not sloppy. I mean, he's a fantastic filmmaker, but the sloppy thing he did every day that there wasn't much of a plot. It was like super just slice of life. And you go back and watch it. He's just like, all right, I'm going to this meeting. All right, I'm going to be late for the airport. All right, you know, and it's like very fact of the matter. And we're in a new era of YouTube um, where you, if you want to play the game, you do have to be more sensational, especially if you're starting from zero. So the goal now is how, how can we use shorts to drive eyeballs to then watch our longer form? And then people stay for your personality. That can work. But what Vlog 2.0 is, is a riff on uh, what Ryan Trahan just did. Did you see that? Just just do, just did. With the penny? Yeah. Right. So, so what Ryan Trahan does is he does a daily vlog, but it's got a challenge overarching the entire thing. You know, he's got to, I don't know, trade this penny up for whatever and then deliver it to Mr. Beast in 30 days. And so what Patty Galloway mm-hmm. told us is that's Vlog 2.0. That's a daily vlog with a challenge or sensationalism over it. Fantastic thumbnails and good titles. It's like, huh, we don't want to play that game, but that's that's the game that's here if you're playing. Um, so yeah, the, the, the idea for vlog 2.0 is still kicking it around. And with all this stuff happening at the company, I just haven't gotten around to launching it. But the premise will be, yes, a daily vlog, but more niche down to the idea of say, how can I launch these little products and make a thousand dollars on them within the week? So it's kind of a, a riff on, uh, on Ryan Trahan. Like instead of just following me around for a daily vlog, I'm going to put my business know-how to the test, have some wacky idea. And, you know, by Thursday, can we have made a thousand dollars? And in turn, maybe that'll show a bunch of young entrepreneurs that it's not so hard and they can do it too. Yeah, and I think we live in a content-based world. And the one thing with the guy, I, I actually don't know his name fully, but I know his name is Ryan. He did a thing where he was spending like 30 days in VR or something like that. And yeah. the small attention to detail he had of like, he had a plant in the background and the plant was slowly dying over the 30 days because obviously he's not watering it. He's not in the real world. And it's it's those smaller parts of content creation that I think really matter. And it's what separates, you know, the the comedians and the the vloggers and the you know the kind of like just following the trends people is people that have like an artistic vision and I'm I'm pretty certain as someone who's watched I, I want to say probably about hundreds of hours of your content now you have a vision but you haven't actually shared that vision with the world you're you're showing it to us which mm. is a much more beautiful experience than you going hey I'm going to be the best kind of personal brand in the world and me and my company are going to do this and that you're like recording all those like 
what I would call in the boardroom moments. Like now we have all these kind of like, oh, look at these email chains and this, this he said, she said of can't believe Zuckerberg did this. And, and you know, fucking Jeff Bezos is working off a table type shit. It's like, I've literally seen you go live with Dylan in that, in that flat or sorry, apartment, as you guys would say. And then you was in the van, but then you and Dylan were still building stuff. Then you were out the van, then you were back in the van. And by the way, for the listeners, he wasn't living in a van because he was homeless. Henry's a crazy man and he just wanted to live in a van and drive around the country <laughs> with his girlfriend, which is a beautiful thing. But I'm just loving the way that you guys are actually basically making, you know, almost like Tiger King. You're recording every part of your journey. And it's one of those things where not even, not even if it like, like gets big, it is when like it gets Tiger big, King. you'll be able to look back and like, <laughs> when you, when you get big, you'll be able to look back or sell this footage to somebody and like, you'll be like, I can't believe we have all this proof of what we've done. It's like, you know what I mean? That's like literal gold dust that you're, that you're building right now. Like I, I I'm here basically promoting your podcast. Go listen to smart nonsense podcast. It's one of the best podcasts out there, better than mine. And it's got Henry and Dylan on, but yeah, back to what I was trying to say is you and Dylan are documenting your whole life story at this, at this moment in time. And I just want to know like what technically gets left out of it. Wow, Sam, that's that's fantastic. It's also the way you put it is so much more beautiful than it's, you know, Genesis. Like how it started was Dylan and I graduating school being like, huh, we're kind of the only two entrepreneur friends of ours. And we both just quit our jobs and we're on unemployment. That sounds like a pretty wacky life. We might as well film it. And like, it's kind of like this innovation stack moat where just like day after day after day of doing that. I I mean, I completely forgot. Like, yeah, we were living together and then I lived in a van and we're still building the thing and like the van kind of sucked. But um, remind me, remind me your, your question at the end of all that, because it was good. The, uh, the question at the end of that was, what do you leave out of all this stuff that you're documenting? Because it feels like you're putting it on the business side, at least you're putting everything on the table, even things I feel like you shouldn't put on there, like stuff that when you were not playing around with, it wasn't Chamath, it was um, the guy from HubSpot. He was like, like you said, earlier, oh, let's get on a call. You're like, what's the call about? He's like, I just want to get on a call. And you're like, we don't do that. And I'm thinking you're talking to a billionaire here and you guys don't give a fuck, but like, this is uh, this is really what's going on, you know? So I'm curious, what do you leave out of the recording process or at, at least out of the, the publicly documented stuff? What we leave out, what I leave out is what I think would make the vlog die 10 years, 20 years, 30 years from now. Right. And where I get that from is watching what killed it for Casey Neistat. Well, it was basically the fact that this vlog was an all-consuming part of his life, and it had to do with his wife and kids and his business and himself and his travels. The stance I took was, oh, what if my vlog is just nine to five? And like everything else that's healthy in my life, you know, I, I leave it at the door at 5 p.m. And that, that to me became way more manageable. And yeah, like I'll, I'll do the life stuff. I'll do the Mexico vlog. Like, every once in a while, but that's not the niche I want to build on. That's not the audience I want here for me. Um, so in terms of what gets left out of our content, it's mostly all of the life stuff. What's in our content is all, all, all of the work stuff. Um, I think like Dylan and I love business. 
all we do when we hang out is talk about business and behavioral economics. And we're just documenting that stuff. And it's wacky. And like you said, the goal is, you know, we can zoom out in 20 years and kind of play our life back. I don't know if that'll be good or bad. Probably good because like who has those tapes? Um, nobody does. Nobody does. But but yeah, we we try and leave the life stuff out of it because work to us is just playful and, and we can do that for decades. Yeah. And that, and that kind of brings me back to your thing that you said earlier about playing long-term games with long-term people. So in that kind of idea of playing long-term games with long-term people, how do you pick the right clients now? Or how do you choose the right work? Like, cause I feel like you're on the Jeff Bezos thing of like, you're not looking like five, 10 years from now, you're looking like 50, 60, a hundred years from now. What, what does this look like? Yeah. It comes from Naval Ravikant and he probably gets it from someone like Confucius, but what he says if is if you can't see yourself working with someone for 10 years, don't work for them for a day. Don't work with them for a day. Um, and so we took that super literally. And I think it's actually, <laughs> it's kind of simple to filter. It's basically like the clients that are going to give you the most trouble are those that email and email and email and ask questions and want to get on calls all before, all before buying anything. That's like mm. the biggest signal. It's like, who's giving you the biggest pain in the ass before they're even a, a, a true customer. The best ones like Darmesh Shah, the, the CTO of HubSpot. He's like, I'm not comparing you guys to uh, people on Fiverr and Upwork and Will Smith's agency. I've made a choice. I just want to work with you. That actually comes from Mike Maples, another great VC. Um, he's like, I want to make a choice, not a comparison. So I'm not going to compare you to another agency. I've chosen like, I like that Henry and Dylan guy. I'm going to work with them. And the people that are like that and vice versa, we do the same. It's very clear. Um, so the newest we're, we're bringing on this week, hopefully, is, is Cody Sanchez. I don't know if you've seen her stuff on Twitter. And, oh, I love her stuff. Yeah, yeah. Boring businesses. That Literally, my life goal, if my stuff do now doesn't work out, I'm going to buy or start a very boring business doing something like cleaning, like all kind of small, boring stuff. I'm into that because they make the most money. All the money, all the cash flow. Um, so yeah, she does cash flowing, boring bootstrap businesses like like uh, vending machines and ice machines and car washes and PO boxes. Um, and she's a contrarian. And so you get someone like that inbounding and it's like, yes, if she wants to play long-term games with long-term people, we are on the same wavelength, let's go. Um, and she's not gonna ask a bunch of questions before we get started. She's like, credit card swiped, Let's get rocking. Come on, show me your best. That's who we want to work with. Mm. Yeah. I think the thing is where you'll see the most success is actually going kind of entrepreneur to entrepreneur. And I don't know if you want to touch on this, but I'm going to talk about it because I find this absolutely hilarious. But I thought you'd have the same thing you're talking about with like Cody Sanchez and um, Darmesh with, with Sean and Sam. But turns out their whole situation was really messed up and then they got bought by HubSpot and this and that. And it's like now they're trying to give away money to get clips but it's like you you had the fucking golden goose right there you had it all prepared you just had to pay the price 
and they didn't want to pay for it. And now they're kind of doing this, what I deem to be almost like embarrassing. It's like, mm. you've got other people making content for you, making pages for you, but you, you have no ownership of that. You have no say in that. Like, do you know what I mean? It's, it, there's no kind of control for them. I think that's true. And, and there are pros and cons to doing it that way. I think, you know, in their mind, they were going to get their whole audience making free content for them. And there was going to be a game kind of around that. It was actually going to grow their audience. And I think it did. Um, but a lot of the stuff you're describing is, you know, and I'm not going to shit all over Sam and Sean here, but it's it's like short-term games. It's like, oh, we don't want to pay that much. Let's go do it cheaper and faster or free with their with their audience. Um, and so, you know, that's that's just what they've elected to do. We've we've crossed paths like a, it's funny because I think and not to brag, but like we really truly just want to play long-term games with long-term people. And what ends up happening is like all these roads, you know, they leave us and they go on this circuitous path and then all roads come back to us because, you know, two years go by, 10 years go by and we're going to be the only people still doing this. Um, So it's kind of funny that like, if they're like, we don't want to work with you, we don't take it to heart. We're like, screw it. We used to, we used to, we learned a lot from that. And then, you know, if you're playing long-term games, those people come back. We just did an edit for um, the producer of their show, whose podcast, Ben, ben he's got a podcast how, called How to Take Over the World. Mr. Beast loves yeah. that podcast. He's probably going to, you know, right. produce it or fund it or something. We did the test edit for that. So it's like all roads kind of lead back to us. And that's something we're, we're really proud of. Yeah. And, and you've made it across the pond. You said you're working with Ali Abdul. And for me, I like Ali Abdel's content when he was more kind of less of this influencer character and more of his nerdy self talking about being a doctor, what kind of keyboards he liked and books and stuff. And I literally last night watched his other podcast, well, not his other podcast, his most recent podcast with someone I like called Grace Beverly, who's built this massive kind of fitness brand. But then I looked at him and I was like, you just want to be Stephen Bartlett is what I feel. And you're not Stephen Bartlett. You're, you're a nerdy guy. You're a full qualified doctor, but you want to be this kind of in front of the camera personality. It's like, I know you switch it on when you want to switch it on, but it's also like, you don't have that in you. You're an analytical thinker. Like go do that in public. Don't try to become, you know, a fucking yeah. nighttime TV host. It's, it's, that's not who you are. And I, I'm curious about his whole model that he's building right now of I don't know what it's called. It's, it's like a video creator academy thing. Obviously, don't say part-time YouTuber say, academy. Is his idea to become? Yeah, is his idea to become like the biggest teacher in the space on this, or is his idea to become just a massive influencer? I, I wonder what your view on it is because you're making his content. I don't know actually. Um, I work with people on his team, not him directly. What I do know is he's in a similar place as us. It's like. He did it. He won the game. He's got success. He's 28 years old. And now he's like, oh, shoot. What's it all for? Like, I was playing the game for the sake of playing the game. I won the game. But what's my purpose in life? Like, what's this larger thing I want to do? That's the exact same thing we went through over the last, like, three or four months. It was horrible and nauseating. Um, But I know he's trying to figure that out. I don't know what his North Star kind of end-all, be-all is. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I do know he's trying to find it. I think part of the fun is figuring out. Yeah. Yeah. I think part of the fun is, is trying to figure out like 
what it is you want to do and, and how you want to do it. That's the trick is like, so Dylan and I, we spent probably a month, especially after David Sachs' birthday party, where we were hanging out with all these billionaires and we're like, wait a minute, we're way happier playing 10 cent, 20 cent poker with our six friends from college drinking Miller lights in our crappy apartment. Like they're no happier than us, you know, accelerated 30 years. So we had this moment and, and what happened is we sat around for a month and we're just like, what do we want? What do we want? How much money do we need? Where do we want to go? Like what city do you want to settle in? Like all this stuff. And the problem is none of that thought experimentation does anything. None of it does anything. So instead it's like, you can't answer all these huge questions. Most of them are unanswerable. You just need to keep putting one foot in front of the other in a direction you think is correct. You know, maybe it's not and things change, but you can't plan this stuff out. So just kind of keep walking. And finally, we started doing that the last month and we're on our way. You mentioned it just briefly there. We mentioned it earlier and we simply get into it, but I think this is the time to get into it. Give me the tea about David Sachs. You guys have got this kind of bromance, almost love affair. I don't know what's really going on there because I, I'll be honest, I don't listen to all in podcasts because it's not for me. It's not business enough. It's not nerdy enough. It's just like, it's like four guys hanging out or three. I don't even know how many people are on there chatting shit every week. And I don't vibe with it, but I do know who David Sachs is. I know who he is in great detail. And you went from just being like a pop-up joke on the podcast of like, ah, oh, Henry, this, that, whatever, to being invited to their man's birthday party. And as well, now you said he's your mentor, which is like a big step up from where you were before, where I, I feel like your main mentor was yourself and YouTube, you know? And I think our invitation to his birthday party was an accident. That's the best part. Um, <laughs> I'll get to that. But yeah, man, I don't, I don't really remember how it started, but what we found with the all in guys and clients in general is like, people just want to see their face on stuff. And so when we started doing their clips, it's like David Sachs more than the others just really liked our clips, mostly because he was getting interrupted on the podcast. Um, so we could kind of piece his, his, uh, points together. So that's why he liked them. Um, but yeah, I don't think, it was probably too early the last time we talked. Maybe we did. We talked about squatter marketing. It was basically this idea we came up with. Yeah, that, we did. Yeah, we did. And, you know, we're like, all in's not our client, but we're just going to act like they are. And we're going to be a squatter on their content. And then in turn, like people will probably think they're a client of ours. And because of the social proof, they'll probably want to work with us. Uh, that turned out to be true. So true, in fact, I think David Sachs's wife thought we were like very closely tied to the podcast so she emails me or texts me one day and uh she's like i want to extend an invitation uh, to our uh, david's 50th birthday party because you you've been such a, like an instrumental part of the podcast success and we're like okay <laughs> that's kind of interesting <laughs> that's fine <laughs> it's fine so i get on the phone with her and i think there's a smart nonsense podcast episode with like the the, the detail detail of this but i get on the phone with her and she's it was just one confusion after another she's like wait are you henry belcaster and i was like yeah and she's like you're married right and i was like no she's like well who's that kid in your vlog and i was like i don't know she's like you make a vlog right and i was like yeah 
And it was just like one confusion after another. <laughs> but ultimately, I think I was who she thought I was. And Dylan and I went to the birthday party and it was spectacular. Um, I can't say who was there. You know, these these billionaires, like, they throw these outrageous parties and they have these crazy musical acts come to the parties and, you know, sing for everyone. I can't say who they were, but it was in Mexico and it was so just a lot of fun. So what's wild about that? You were near Cardi B. That video you were recording of a boat burning in the distance or something like that. Oh, okay. That was on Cardi B's Instagram. So I was like, was I didn't Cardi say it. B at the same party? I was like, what is Henry doing? I, I didn't was like, say what it. the hell? Wait, there's a funny story about that. So we're in the, uh, the, the infinity pool at this five-star place um, in Cabo. <laughs> we, we look out and there's just like, a six million dollar yacht sinking and we're like well, what on earth is going on um and so dylan takes a video of the thing and he sends it to his girlfriend who he's told like no details about this thing a day goes by and his girlfriend texts him and she's like dylan what the fuck the video you sent me is all over tmz and cardi be posted about it on Twitter. And he was like, oh, she must have been in the pool. Like, we didn't even notice um, that, that she was right next to us <laughs> taking a video of this same sinking yacht. And he got in a lot of trouble for that from his girlfriend. And uh, yeah, Cardi B was there performing, but I didn't say that. She did it to herself. She posted and TMZ got a hold of it. They did do I, WAP. I think that's absolutely wild that th there's people... Yeah, well, there was there was a different type of whap going on there in that pool, but I think it's absolutely wild that you're you're 24 now, right, Henry? You're 25. Oh God, you're old. You're getting 25. old. 25. But you're you're 25, and you're living what most people dream about for their whole life of this lifestyle of starting a business. The business is going good. There's challenges, but you're smart enough to overcome them. It's like you you have all the skills. And now your game of life is like, right, how do I play this in the most optimal way for myself? But at the same time, you're like, I still want to get better. Like, how, how do you wrestle with those thoughts that you have all the time of like constantly improving versus actually just doing what you do best? Yeah, like, like I said earlier, it's about defining some, uh, let me put it this way. It's one thing to just run in some direction with some speed. It's another to define your velocity which is a speed in a certain direction. So we've got like some fuzzy North star somewhere and we'll run with all of our speed. So at least we have a velocity. And I think what I've realized, and um, this comes from Elon Musk, but when people ask like, you know, Elon, like what's your one piece of advice for, for entrepreneurship or starting a business? It's like, don't absolutely don't do it. It's horrible. <laughs> it's horrible. But mm. the ones that are crazy enough to do it are going to do it anyway. So that's why that advice works. But it's funny because like Dylan and I sit around and we're like, man, sometimes we really just wish we were W-2 employees. And W-2 is like, that's just like the, a normal employee in the States that gets W-2 wages. It's like, that's your salary. That's what you get. It's very straightforward. Someone tells you what to do each day. There are days we really want that. But then I think like, Ultimately, what we get from all the craziness, we've realized you could make $30,000 or $80,000, $150,000 or multi-millions. 
what do we want at the end of the day? It's just freedom. It's just freedom. That's what, what anybody wants. And it's the freedom to do what we want, where we want, when we want. And the fact that like, I don't have to ask anybody's permission to spend an hour with you today on this is like freedom. And, you know, I'll be in Southern Africa all of December, December. I don't have to ask anybody about that. That's, that's freedom. Um, so I think like, we don't know where we're going. We have this hazy North star with some velocity. So a speed in a direction, but then we already have what, what we set out to get. And, and that was freedom. So now it's like, okay, how can we make a little bit more money so that we're more stable? Or how do we make enough money so that we've made a ton and can actually start pointing that towards other people and have like a larger impact on the world? We're very much of the belief like, yeah, you could like leave college and and go and, and do some philanthropy and try and help people. I would rather make a ton of money and then be able to do those things. Because I feel like until you have all the money and all the freedom, you're never going to you know, do the philanthropy well. So for us, it's like, how do we get more stable? And then what's our larger impact on this planet? Like, why are we here? Speaking about your larger impact and going back to what you said a little while ago about squatter marketing, you're trying to get to Jack Conti now. And for the people that don't know who Jack Conti is, he is the founder of Patreon. And if you don't know what Patreon is, then are you really a creator? You know, but we won't get into that. What what is your deal with Jack Conti? Why why do you want his attention so bad? Like I you know I mean I, I'm trying to see the the vision, but I I'm just like, what is it with Jack Conti? I don't know his content to me. He doesn't make much of it, but he has over the years. It's so special, and what I can tell in Jack Conti's content is he's playing long term games. You know, he's got these stories of putting every dollar on the line for this huge music video he was launching on YouTube and he finally did it and it got like eight views, you know, he's got stories like that for decades. And it's like, Oh, that's a guy playing long-term games with himself. He's not going after the views. He's making this art for the pure focus of making his art. And we love that. And so I see Jack Conti um, making shorts on YouTube and they look you know, exactly like something that, that we would do. It's like very basic hook into an insane animated sequence and then a basic hook. It's like nobody else in the world can do that. So I don't know who's editing Jack Conti's stuff, but I'm like, we want to be. We want to be. If that's another person, we'll do it for free. I don't care. But if he's someone that that we can hang out with and play long-term games with for 20 years, sign me up. Um, On top of that, like, I see his his YouTube shorts and it's like, those are never going to go viral. I know enough to know that those are never going to go viral. They don't have broad viral appeal. It's like a little tour of, you know, the, the keyboards in his studio. It's like, so there are things I want to tell him. I actually need to email him today. He never responded, but uh, damn it. If I'm not persistent, we'll get him to respond. And uh, I want to email him today. He like, won't respond. He has not responded. No. Um, Oh, I found out he's not on Twitter, so I'm, I'm going through email. How did you get his email if he won't respond? How did I get his email? I've got this little tool on my Google Chrome called, wait, let me find it. This, this would be good for people because then you can get the attention of anybody you want. It's called Contact Out. So search Google Chrome Contact Out. I go on like his LinkedIn. You press this little, this little doohickey on Google Chrome and it gives you their email, probably that they signed up with... Uh, 
linked in with. Um, but yeah, they're like things. So, okay. You, you ask like, what's the deal with Jack Conti? You know, our playbook, it's like, you can't just go make a pitch to these people. You got to show them exactly what you're going to do. So my email to him is like three clips in the style of what he's currently doing. Um, what I want to do now is tell him in less harsh words, but why his, his YouTube strategy is never going to work. Um, and kind of solve that problem for him and, and help him think about the content he's making. Even if he doesn't work with us, I want him to make better content. So that's the next step. I like it. Well, Henry, I, I wouldn't want to take up too much of your time. You're genuinely, like I said, one of the busiest people I know and busy for a reason. But one last thing I want to ask you that I actually didn't get to lo- ask you last time because you were one of the first few guests on the podcast, but now I'm like 50, 60 episodes deep. I want to ask you this question, but I want to frame it completely differently because I feel like me and you have a lot more rapport. Aside from having the freedom, having money, being able to do what you want to do in general and, you know, having all these cool experiences, what is it about all the things you do that bring you the most joy? I've been trying to figure that out. So first of all, I wanted to say kudos to you on, on 50 or 60 episodes. we see so many people come into and out of the game because they realize, you know, three was hard. Um, and to push through that, I think is spectacular. I've been trying to figure this out with Dylan. Um, it's like Dylan has a, a pretty good sense of what brings him joy. That's like simplicity. He wants less moving parts, simplicity, good relationships, you know, not a hundred friendships, but 10 awesome friendships. And for me, it's like, I can't figure it out. What I have figured out is like, I get the most joy from being in motion. And here's why I think that is. Who was it? Uh, It was Andrew Wilkinson on Shane Parrish's podcast. He said something like, successful people, he's realized, are just an anxiety disorder dressed up as productivity. And damn it, if that weren't more true, it's like I suffer from, or I I did previously, it, it came back when living in the van is like, I suffered from just the most crippling, crippling anxiety. And the way I pushed through that was just by doing things and taking my mind off it. Because if you're doing one thing with your hands, you can't really be thinking about those demons in your head. Right. And, um, so it doesn't make a lot of sense to people, but what brings me joy is just like moving, moving things stirring up a, a commotion and and having some inertia um i like my worst days are when i just kind of sit around thinking all day my best days are when i've built something or filmed something or like this is why even the vlog as it is today it's never going to work but i do it because like purely doing it gives me joy it's it's 30 minutes in a day where i'm just like alone creating something artistic myself um so I think a lot of my joy, paradoxically, is tied to my anxiety. And the way that manifests for me is just by doing things. Um, thank God I have Dylan and, and others around me, my, my girlfriend as well. But like, I, I would very much, we talked about the, the velocity vector earlier. I'm very much just speed in many directions. You know, I don't want to think about those demons. Let me just speed, 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 speed. So to then have people around me that are like, hey, can we just direct that speed in that way? And and now you've got some velocity. 
Um, so that's, that's where I rely on other people. But uh, yeah, Joy, I think I will look back in, in 30, 30 years and, and just be happy that like I moved something each day. I love that, Henry. And finally, I don't know what it is you want to promote, but feel free now to tell the people where can they find you online. I think by the time this comes out, I'm going to plug what we should be launching tomorrow. But we haven't thought about or filmed or done anything, but I'm going to manifest it. Um, it's the new kind of version of long form we'll be doing for Dylan's channel. So it's like, okay, you got all these short form eyeballs. Now let's point them to something that they stay for. Um, and we're going to be doing these kind of funny animated uh, drunk history type videos uh, on his channel. So I think people should go search Dylan Jarden on YouTube. And hey, either they were a big hit by the time this comes out or modest or uh, or we don't exist anymore. So then you won't find Dylan Jarden, but check them out. If you enjoyed this episode, you should go back and listen to episode two of the podcast, Making Viral Content for Millionaires with Henry Belcaster. Thank you for listening to People Explained. New episodes come out every Monday. We would appreciate it if you gave us a review on Apple Podcasts and shared this episode with a friend.